Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Welcome to this special episode of the Umarpreneur Live podcast. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk to you guys about how Islam spread through trade in the early ages. So we're going to talk about a few topics here. And today I don't have a guest. It's really just going to be me. So uh, if you guys have any questions, if you guys want to interact, feel free to do so a little bit more today. As you guys know, if you're listening in later, this is a live podcast. This is a podcast that's recorded live. So uh, for those of you who can join us, make sure to do so. We'll drop a link to the Facebook group and our YouTube channel in the description of the episode, inshallah. So for everyone tuning in, inshallah, the topic for today is going to be how Islam spread through trade in the early ages, really. So what we're going to talk about is a few aspects of entrepreneurship and how they contributed to the spread of Islam. And a lot of you know that, you know, Omarpreneur, we're an organization that focuses on entrepreneurship. We nurture Muslim entrepreneurship. We help Muslim entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurship really has amazing effects on society. I mean, I'm the first one to talk about how entrepreneurship has amazing effects on uh impacting our communities and the people around us positively, right? Through every product that we create, through everything that we do. And at the same time, entrepreneurship is the vehicle to change the narrative, to empower Muslims and society as we are today. Entrepreneurship is a way for us to bring back some of that wealth, to create some of that wealth within our communities and really bring it back and nurture our communities from within. You guys all know how I feel about, you know, how Muslims should strive for this dunya just as much as they strive for the akhirah, right? And we all know that the akhirah is our resting place. The akhirah is the, the place where we end up. It's our resting abode. However, we make a dua every single day. Allahumma atina fid dunya hasanatan wa fil akhirati hasanatan wa qina adhab nar So there's nothing wrong with asking for goodness in this life and goodness in the next life. And inshallah, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us goodness in both of these areas and to protect us from the hellfire, of course. Entrepreneurship is a way for Muslims to empower themselves financially. It's a way for us to build these businesses where we're going to benefit our communities, benefit the people around us, and benefit society. And when we do this, when we have these transactions with people that you work with, people that you deal with, transactions, clients that um, you're going to serve through your business, these clients aren't always necessarily Muslims, right? It could be uh, clients that are uh, you know, non-Muslim, essentially, from all walks of life. And this is an opportunity for you. Every time someone interacts with you, it's an opportunity for you as a Muslim business owner to shift the narrative, right? To make a change in their perspective, in the way that they view Islam and Muslims. When you operate through a place of honesty, through a place of integrity, right? When you, when you have Islamic values that you portray in everything that you do as an entrepreneur, that in itself is a way for you to change the narrative, for you to be able to, 
you know, go and, and really change hearts. And someone might look at the news, they might watch the news, they might think to themselves, you know, Muslims are, are pretty bad. They're out there causing chaos and they're doing so many things. I mean, that's what the news loves to focus on. Um, but then they come and they meet you and you serve them, whether you're a coach or consultant, a business owner, just a local bakery shop. And then they make a connection with you, right? Because you're friendly, you're honest, you're, you're loving, you're compassionate, you're kind in dealing with them. And through those interactions, they think to themselves, well, that's just a human being. That's a human being who wants the same thing for himself that I want for myself. And entrepreneurship has so many amazing effects on the people around us, on our communities, on society as a whole. And so today, we're gonna to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. We're gonna talk about the effects of entrepreneurship. And I can see a lot of people connecting saying, salam alaikum. So we're gonna extend my salam to everyone here that's connecting right now on this live. So for every one of you that's connecting right now uh, and that's joining me, thank you. I, I really honor you and I'm grateful to you for joining me today. What I'm gonna talk about is how Islam spread through trade in the early ages. And to begin, I'm gonna talk about the Silk Road the Silk Road, and you guys might have heard about this before. You might have heard about the Silk Road before. And if you haven't heard about it, let me know in the comments. Let me know when I mentioned Silk Road. Is this, is this a topic that you're familiar with? Is this something that you already know about or not really? And what I'm gonna try to do today is I'm gonna share with you, I'm gonna share with you a little bit of information about the Silk Road. Uh, see if I can even put up an image on here on the podcast so you can see where, what it looked like uh, and, and just how far it spanned, right? From the east to west so that you can see um, exactly just, just how, how, how huge it is. So there's actually an image here that I'm gonna put up on screen right now. Um, and I want you guys to see this. This Silk Road that we're gonna talk about today, this is actually a trade route. Yeah, this is a trade route. It was a network of trade routes connecting the East and the West. And it was central to the economic, cultural, political, and religious interactions between these regions from the second century all the way to the 18th century. And the Silk Road was primarily uh, on land, but there was also some sea routes that were connecting East Asia to Southeast Asia to South Asia to Persia to the Arabian Peninsula to East Africa and Southern Europe. So let me get put up an image here if, if you're actually watching this on video, because I want you to see what it looks like. Okay, I want you to see just, just how expansive uh, this is. And hopefully I can, I can kind of zoom this in for you guys, um, inshallah, so you can, you can see this on the screen. So let me go ahead and pull that up for you. Check this out. So you can take a look here, uh, and I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you can see the screen here, the Silk Road, this is what it looks like. So it spanned all the way um, to China, all the way to the east, reaching China, Shanghai, and then all the way to the west, as far as, uh, let me see if I can get another picture here, as far as uh, Persia, Arabia, and even Italy and, and the west. So if you look at here, uh, Turkey, and what is known today as Greece and Italy. So this road spanned across all of these countries. And what do all of these countries have in common today? What do all of these countries have in common today? This road that entrepreneurs and, 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 and tradespeople have taken. What these countries all have in common is that they have a Muslim population in common. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Now, let me give you some background. Let me give you some background on this to really share with you uh, what it is that we're going to talk about today and, and, and how it impacted, um, how trade and Islam impacted all of these countries within the Silk Road. So 
the religious beliefs of people along the Silk Road uh, at the beginning of the first century, right? And, and when we talk about Silk Road, I'm talking about all the countries along the Silk Road from east to west. At the beginning of the first century, they were very different from what they would later become, okay? Uh, at that time, um, Buddhism was known in Central Asia, but it was not yet widespread in China, nor had it reached elsewhere in East Asia. And Chris Christianity was still more than a century in the future, right? So now I'm, I'm rewinding you back to even before Christianity, okay? Taoism, in the strict sense of the term, uh, it's an organized religion, um, and, and this one would not appear in China for another three centuries as well. And Islam would be more than seven centuries into the future. So the Silk Road started seven centuries before Islam was, was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. It started much earlier. But then what happened is Islam came and, subhanAllah, caused a major change on this. Entrepreneurship came, trade came, and it caused Islam a, a, a major shift. Now, the people uh, of the Silk Road in its early decades, they followed many different religions. In the Middle East, they worshipped the gods and goddesses of the, the Greco-Roman pagan pantheon, the idols, right? And, and others, they were followers of the old religion of Egypt, right? Especially the cult of Isis and Osiris, right? There were Jewish merchants and other settlers that had spread beyond the borders of the ancient kingdoms of Israel, right? And they had established their own places of worship in towns and cities throughout the region. Uh, and elsewhere in the Middle East, and especially in Persia and Central Asia, uh, at that time, you could find you could find Zoroastrianism. Right? Zoroastrianism. This is a, this is a religion that was founded actually by the Persian sage Zoroaster in the sixth century, uh, and this this religion really uh, what it focused on was a struggle between good and evil, light and darkness. It uses it uses fire as the simple as the symbol of purification, uh, as a power of good, um, right? Uh, and that was probably borrowed from the Brahmanic religion of ancient India. Now, the, the Greek colonies uh, of Central Asia that had been left behind from, from the empire of Alexander the Great, right? So we're talking about first by the first century, right? They largely converted to paganism to and, and Buddhism and uh, all of these religions would sp spread far and wide. In India, on side routes of the Silk Road that crossed the uh, all kinds of passes, um, really, they would, they would essentially spread far beyond India and Southeast Asia, while the latter eventually, it almost became worldwide uh, in extent. Now, coming at last uh, to China, if we're talking about China at that time, and I, I'm kind of giving you a background of what the world looked like uh, before, before Islam came, right, during the first century. So if you guys, uh, if you guys are enjoying this, if you guys, if you guys want me to skip straight to what happened, let me know. <laughs> but if you guys are enjoying this, let me know in the comments as well, inshallah. And I can see a lot of people... Um, a lot of people are joining us from the UK, from Canada, mashallah. Ramadan Mubarak to all of you as well. So when we talk about um, when we talk about the beliefs of China, of Korea, of Japan, uh, there was no official state cult at that time of Confucius, of Buddhism, of, of religious Taoism, right? All these all these uh, religions that we know today uh, in Asia. Uh, the beliefs of Korea and Japan were actually uh, really unrecorded in the past. Uh, they have they and, and and what I read when I when I started researching is that they appear to have been ancestral in nature, right? So uh, it puts a belief system that emphasizes worship of local gods and goddesses, the importance of rituals and uh, ruling by a king of divine descent, right? So they really respected their ancestors. They revered the ancestors in those countries at the time. And the religious beliefs of these people, right? 
that are that these countries that span the Silk Road, it would change radically from what they had been when uh, there was that trans-Eurasian trade uh, and that began to take place on a regular basis. And, and really the, the reason uh, why religions would change during that time, why, why this, these religious beliefs all across this, the Silk Road that we talk about, and I really wish I could bring you like a, a really nice big photo here um, that, that we can zoom in, but unfortunately I'm, I'm having trouble finding one. But during that time, uh, let me see, I think I got one. I think I got one for you guys. Yeah, so during that time, religious beliefs, they, they were largely influenced by entrepreneurship and trade. So you'd have all these traders, all these traders that all on, on this route that connected East and West. And a lot of people like to think that uh, the world was disconnected before, right? And, and I just wanna put a little tangent on this. A lot of people like to think that the world was very much disconnected before, right? That you know, China, Korea, Japan, what we know today as these countries, the Indian subcontinent, Iran, Europe, the Horn of Africa, Arabia, right? All of these countries, uh, we like to believe that they were disconnected, right? That they weren't actually connected, but you're gonna come to find, and I'm just gonna put this up here. Uh, oh, I put the wrong tab. Um, but you're gonna come to find that through studying the Silk Road and through studying history, that these countries were very much connected. And even during the time of the Prophet that you would have traders that would travel, right? That would travel to Syria, to, to Yemen, to, um, to far and wide, all the way to Asia, right? To go and make trade with these countries and establish relationships and then come back. And the Arabs were very prideful at the time. During the time, the Arabs were very tribal, right? It was, Arabs were separated into tribes. You had Aus and, and Khazraj and, and Bani Hashim, right? And, uh, and all of these different uh, tribes um, that all lived together in Arabia, in Mecca, in the Ethereum, et cetera, uh, across that region. And they had a reputation, right? People knew each other based on their reputation. And one thing, do you know the main reason, I'm just gonna give you guys a quick tangent here. Do you know the main reason why when Muhammad وسلم, when the prophet Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, came with the message. You know the main reason why they, the, 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 um, uh, the Jahileen, the non-Muslims, didn't go and right away you know, attack him and, and try to murder him. I mean, they did eventually, um, and, and, and they didn't succeed, of course. But you know why at first they had so, they waited so long, right? They, they, from the start, they were against Muhammad. They were very much vehemently against him. Right? They didn't want his religion to spread. Islam, what do you, you're coming here and you're, you're, you're essentially, yeah, Muhammad, you're, you're betraying the religion of your forefathers. You're betraying the religion of your ancestors, right? So why didn't they go and immediately, you know, just go and be like, oh, you know what? We're going to put an end to your life right away. The reason why is because the Arabs in that time were known to take care of their own. And for them to go and, and let's say, you know, kill uh, murder a, a a son of Banu Hashim, right? Number one would be an attack on the entire tribe of Banu Hashim. And at that time, um, uh, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu uncle, right? Abu Talib, um, uh, you know, he was uh, still alive. And so he was still, you know, Muhammad Sallallahu had that protection from his uncle, right? Who was, was a, a very influential man during that time uh, in Mecca. So they had tribal relations and for someone to kill someone else during that period you you were essentially were were instigating a war between that entire tribe 
right? Uh, you, you were starting a war between those tribes if, if you were to murder or, or offend, uh, cause an offense to another tribe. And, and the Arabs were known as very hospitable people, right? Very honorable people. And, and during their discussions at that time, the re every time they would sit down, they'd be like, oh, what can we do about this situation, about Islam? What, what is it that we can do about Islam? Uh, because, you know, this is a problem and we're having trouble solving it because, you know, we can't go and attack someone of our own because then the people will say, the Arabs, you know, are, are attacking their own. They're fighting within themselves. And that was a big no-no in that period, right? So, so they didn't want that to happen. They didn't want that reputation to go out. They didn't want the word to go out. And that actually stopped them from doing anything for a very long time, right? That's why they could only go, what, why is it that they could only go and, and torture and, and, um, and, 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 you know, oppress Muslims, you know, that, that were um, at that time that were freed you know, as slaves, such as uh, Bilal anhu, right? The reason why they could freely go and oppress these Muslims was because, you know, they didn't have tribes to back them. They didn't, ha they didn't have an affiliation or protection from a certain clan or an influential person. So they could do that. But if you if you were belonged to a tribe at that time, you know, that, that was essentially, you know, no one can touch you. There's an oath. Like, you, you do something to me, it's an attack on the tribe. You know, there's there's no way around it. So why am I sharing with you guys uh, this perspective? It's because during that time, all of these peoples, right? You think of the Arabs, you think of uh, India, of Asia, et cetera. All these peoples, you know, the Arabs had traditions. They had a reputation to uphold, right? They, they, they essentially, uh, you know, they did have a connection with other countries and other people, right? Around the world. It wasn't what we think it is. The world wasn't completely disconnected. Right, the, the world wasn't completely disconnected as as we like to think today. Like, oh, internet, you know, is is, is since since the advent of internet, the world became connected. Uh, that's actually very much not true. Now, of course, the world is more connected today than it's ever been before. But this is an image of the Silk Road that I'm putting now up on the screen, uh, and you can see just how far it spans. You can see the big yellow the big yellow line here with the green, just from east to west, all the way from east from China, India, um, and all the way to the west to the Horn of Africa. Right, right, and even further. Uh, so, really expansive, really expansive here. Now, let's talk about the advent of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Okay, we know that the Silk Roads they're they're some of the most important routes in collective history. Right? It was through these roads that the relations between the East and West were established. These roads, people would take, traders would take, and they knew these roads. These are the connections. Every time we needed to go and get spices from the East, right? Every time we need to go get get to get some get do some trade in the West. These are the roads that we take. These are the roads that we know, right? These are the roads that we follow. These are our trade routes. And, and the reason why um, uh, the reason why they were so important is because they established relationships, right, between the East and West, uh, exposing these diverse regions to different ideas and ways of life. And, and these exchanges included the diffusion of many of the world's major religions at the time, including Christianity and, of course, followed by that, uh, Islam, right? Now, Islam appeared in the Arabian Peninsula in the seventh century. If we're talking about the, uh, you know, the, uh, the calendar that we use every day, uh, the, which is we're now in 2021, not the Islamic calendar, uh, but the solar calendar um, uh, that is based on uh, the birth of Christ. That would be the seventh century. And now Islam started its expansion towards Eastern regions through trade, right? Muslims were known to have commercial talent and, and notably that was encouraged by Islam. And it's really interesting because during that time, Muslims were traders. All of, all of the Muslims at the time were entrepreneurs, 
right? That's really what they did. That's what they focused on. And that was their thing, right? And even, we even know, we, we know the Prophet Sallallahu we know him as a traitor, right? We know that um, he uh, essentially, uh, his, he met his, his wife Khadija anha, um, by working for her as a trader for her, right? She was an influential businesswoman and he worked as a trader for her. And, and, and different tribes have different, have different specialties, but specifically the tribe of Mecca. Uh, like for example, if you go to um, when, when uh, let me give you guys some background. When the Muslims uh, migrated from Mecca to Medina, to Yathrib, uh, Medina was essentially uh, at the time, it was known for having really great farmers, right? So the people there were really great farmers. They knew how to, they knew how to harvest the land. They were really good at, you know, raising plants and uh, just growing vegetation out of the desert. The people of Mecca, they were known to be traders. They were known to be traders. And so when the, that migration happened from Mecca to Medina, uh, the people of Mecca were scared. The, the disbelievers of Mecca were scared. Why? Because they're like, oh, now we're going to combine the farmers with the traders. And now these traders are going to go and they're going to start, you know, teaching them how to trade and they're going to expand Medina. And they were afraid because they knew that would bring an economic advantage to, to Medina, right? Uh, or what it was known at the time as Yathrib, right? So they knew that these tradespeople, these entrepreneurs, them going there would bring an economic advantage to that city, right? To that place. Now think about that. Think about that. Think, think about how powerful entrepreneurship is for a moment. That they knew that these traders, right? These traders, if these traders went to this other city, they were afraid. They're like, they knew that that e economy the economy of Yathrib of Medina is going to thrive, right? Because now we're now that we're putting, you know, we're bringing these Meccans in who are experienced traders, right? And now we're combining that with with the farmers of Yathrib, and 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 there you go. Now you have a mix for success, right? You have a mix for you have a beautiful blend of economic success. So the power of entrepreneurship. When you think of entrepreneurship, even today, right? What effects does it have, right, on communities, on society, on people? Think of everything that you use today. Think of um, think of Amazon. Think of um, you know the, your phone, the iPhone that you have right now. Think of you know this camera that I'm using. Think of me streaming to you guys right now. I'm using a software right that I that I'm paying for every month to stream this episode. And this software was developed by an entrepreneur, by a business owner, and he decided I'm going to help other people connect easily with people online. And that made a significant change in my ability to communicate with you guys, my ability to be here and for you to listen in. Just like all of you who might be listening on, on pod, uh, uh, um, to this episode in audio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. All of you guys, uh, you might, you know, um, you're listening to this and, and you think to yourself, you know, how was Spotify developed? How was all of these softwares developed? They were developed by entrepreneurs, right? By business owners. Now, imagine if we had more Muslims doing that today in this day and age. Imagine if we had more Muslims that focus on this, more Muslims that really focus on how can we create you know, these amazing products, these amazing services, these amazing businesses that contribute to society, right? So this allows us to have a positive impact and also by contributing society, allow us to amass wealth that we can redistribute within the community, right? So now we're benefiting communities, we're donating to causes that we care about, we're supporting you know, uh, the future generation of Muslims. And not only that, but we're changing the narrative, right? We're, we're trading with other people and, and we're dealing with, with clients and people think like, wow, this product that I use every day, the service that I benefit from, 
right? This is made by uh, a, a Muslim, right? So, you know, just being able to do that, um, it, it really, the impact that you have as an entrepreneur, right? You're really able to change so many lives. And when you think about that, and when you think of the power that it had and, and the power that it continues to have, uh, this is why I really truly believe that we need more Muslim entrepreneurs in society today. So let me continue and talk to you, walk you guys through this. So what happened was during that time, the seventh century, uh, Muslims were known to have commercial talent, right? And, and this was encouraged by Islam, right? There's many hadiths by the Prophet that talk about trade, that talk about the ethics of trading and of business. And it was really encouraged by Islam to go do trade. And, and there's a hadith by Prophet and I'm paraphrasing, that says the best you know, wealth you can earn is earn, wealth that you've earned through your own two hands, right? That you've worked for yourself, right? So... What happened was uh, during that time, Muslims, uh, they, were, they were great traders and they also had excellent sailing skills, right? They were actually very good sailors as well. And so with those two skills, they could monopolize the, the trade between East and West of the maritime Silk Roads, right? And, and what they did is they were connecting various ports uh, of the Eastern Asian regions together, right? And um, by doing this, these, these interactions they, they would have, Right, as they traveled to all of these countries to do trade, these interactions that they would have for these people, when they'd go and they'd do trade and they'd realize, wow, the Muslims are really honest people. And when they'd go, they'd talk about their religion. They say, you're a very honest person. You're, you're a very honest tradesman, right? Uh, I'm really bent, you know, you know awesome. Like you, you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And, you know, they were impressed uh, by the Muslims, by their character, and really to showcase the importance of character, by the character of the Muslims that went to, to, uh, to these countries to you know establish these trade relationships they were so impressed by the character of the muslims that they and the muslims would tell them well this is our religion um you know we a prophet came from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was sent from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala our prophet muhammad and they would tell them about this message of la ilaha illallah muhammadun rasulullah and these interactions resulted in the expansion of Islam to the people living in, in coastal cities in the Indian subcontinent in China or in the more distant southeastern islands of modern Indonesia or Philippines, right? And, and it's, it's believed that Islam arrived in these uh, southeastern regions by the 7th century. And Muslim merchants from the Arabian Peninsula had to pass through these islands of the south via the maritime Silk Road. So by, when I say maritime, I mean like they were actually sailing on boats to reach China's ports. So to go and reach China at the time, Muslims were traveling all the way to China, by the way, all the way to China, to go and reach China, these traders, what they would do is uh, they would go and travel through these countries by boat. And they would have to make stops at all these kind of ports, all these different ports, right? So they make stops at all these different ports and they would go and have these interactions. They would trade with the people there and they'd stop by Indonesia, right? And they'd stop by countries like, like India, right? Philippines. And look at it today. What is the what is the country um, that has the highest Muslim population in the world today? And a lot of people might think well, Saudi Arabia, some some country, some Arab, some Arab country, right? You ask any non-Muslim, ask any non-Muslim in the world, um, you know, wh which country do you think has the most non uh, has the most Muslims today in this day and age? And they're going to say um, they're going to say oh, for Saudi Arabia, some Arab country, right? No idea. Um, well, interestingly enough, actually it's Indonesia, right? Indonesia is the country with the highest Muslim population today in our day and age. And how did this happen? Well, this actually started all the way back in the seventh century, 
right, all the way back in the seventh century through the uh, through the Silk Roads and the traders that essentially were traveling from east to west to establish these relationships, to trade, you know, um, clothing and uh, and essentially and and, and cloth to, for spices and. Uh, you know, what they would bring from Arabia, they would trade, you know, uh, in China and, and India and Asia, etc. Now, when you think of uh, the Indonesian islands, the Muslim traders, they went there because there were rare spices, right? They wanted some of that rare spice. And I get it. I get it. You know, I mean, I'm lazy. I, I, I won't even travel uh, for, for hot sauce if I don't have it in my fridge. But we got to get those spices because back then, that's what it was. You know, today you go to the grocery store, you have everything available to you. Back then, they had to travel all the way, Right. And, and those merchants, actually, some of them settled in Indonesia. They blended with local people. And after the arrival of Muslim merchants, right, the kings of the island started to follow Islam as well. And that facilitated their integration into the trade roads um, around the 12th century. Now, there's actually archaeological evidence of the adoption of Islam amongst the royalty. And it can be seen on tombstones that are engraved with the date of the Islamic year of uh, the Sumatran islands, which are actually in Indonesia, right? And, and in Philippines, there were archeological records uh, such as porcelain wares, and they were unearthed um, um, around 618 to 900 AD, okay? Uh, and they were imported to the Philippines by Muslim traders. And that means Muslims were already present in the Philippines before the 10th century. So when you think about before the 10th century, that's like the year 900, right? We're in the year 2021, guys. So, I mean, we've been there for a while. Islam has been there for a while, right? Just to give you some perspective. Um, and even in the 13th century, there were contact between Muslim merchants and the local population. And there was commerce, right? Uh, even to regions such as Brunei, Malaysia, right? And that also encouraged the spread of Islam amongst the local population. And when you think of the spread of Islam, a lot of people might think, oh, Islam spread through the sword. Right. If Islam spread through, think about the Crusades, this is how Islam was spread. Islam spread just, just like all the major religions, they spread through the sword. Now, okay, some of it, right, some of it is true, no doubt, right? There were wars that were fought, um, many wars that were fought. But think of all these countries that you see today, all these countries such as Indonesia and the Philippines and, and India, which is now known, if India has split into two countries, Pakistan and India, but there was no Pakistan during that time, right? There was no Pakistan in, in 900 AD, right? In the seventh century, there was no such thing as Pakistan. Uh, it was all just India, right? And so what happened is most, the, the, what happened is the arrival of Islam started to uh, divide the population between you know, the Muslims and the people who still followed the Hindu religions, right? So the way that Islam spread through these regions was peacefully through trade, through entrepreneurship, through interactions between Muslim merchants and locals, right? And it blended with these existing cultural and religious influences of the time. So let, let's kind of wrap this up a little bit because I don't want to give you guys too many specific details on, um, you know, the Silk Road and all that. And you guys can definitely read on it. I, I encourage you to read on it. I'm not going to take too much time to focus on that. I actually want to leave some time for some questions. So I want to give you guys the room. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, please drop them in uh, the chat. Uh, and inshallah, what we're going to do is I'm going to answer your questions, make sure that we have a little bit of a discussion here. And I want to take some questions that you have about entrepreneurship and about trade and the presence of an entrepreneurship and trade early on, early on 
in uh, our, our history as Muslims, right? In our legacy as Muslims. And Muslims have been entrepreneurs. We've been traders, you know, since the beginning, since day number one, since our Prophet ﷺ, who was a trader himself. And, you know, many Muslim countries that we know of today, including Indonesia, the country with the highest Muslim population, the way that Islam spread to those countries was peacefully through entrepreneurship and through trade. So all these traders would go and they would go for these rare spices and they would go to these countries. And then, you know, the people would, int would interact with these traders and they would witness their, their character and they would witness, you know, their honesty, their integrity. And some people would settle there, right? Some Muslims would settle there and they'd, they'd give da'wah, they'd teach them about Islam, teach them about, you know, there's only one God, Muhammad Sallallahu is his prophet. And slowly but surely, Islam started to spread across, you know, these all of these regions where there was entrepreneurship. And I truly believe that even today, you know, even to this day, there's so much that we can do as entrepreneurs, right? A lot of people think, you know, how can we, how can we uplift the Muslim Ummah? How can we help Muslims, um, you know, raise up the Muslim communities and, and kind of really just support, you know, more Muslims to go and, and, and strengthen themselves and, and, and be, uh, you know, and I wouldn't say be more powerful, but essentially, you know, have more ability to make an impact, right? Because why do, why, why are Muslims oppressed? Why, why do people, you know, feel like they can always just kind of put Muslims aside, right? The reason why is because my brothers and sisters, we are, we are, you know, we are lagging behind in many areas, right? And when you think of the Islamic golden age, right? Through these trade routes, right? They were not only routes where, you know, physical products were traded, but those trade routes served as intellectual trade routes. And what happened is during the Islamic golden age, right? Where you had, you know, these amazing Muslim scientists and inventors uh, that would discover all, uh, I mean, there's so many that we highlight on our Instagram, but they, they discovered so, they created so many machines and they discovered, you know, things like how the eye operates, right? Like Ibn Sina, and, and uh, not Ibn Sina, sorry, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, but the, the, the essentially, he discovered, you know, how the cornea reflects light, right? To be able to see, right? Discoveries like that, discoveries in, in, in regards to medicine, in regards to creating machines like wudu machines, right? Discoveries in regards to coffee, by the way, discovered during the Islamic golden age. And then these discoveries were spread to all these regions through the trade routes, through the trade routes as well. So not only uh, sharing in, in, in economic value, but also sharing in intellectual value. And you think about us today and, and we're very much lagging behind, right? How many, how many uh, Muslim in, inventions have you seen recently? How many Muslim pioneers have you seen recently that have, cre that have created, you know, the next, the next Amazon, the next, uh, you know, the, uh, the next, you know, um, drone company, which is going to be the next thing in the future, the next, you know, let's say, you know, cryptocurrency, the next, um, you know, innovation in healthcare, right? So much that we could do. Now, alhamdulillah, we, I've seen, we're seeing right now some improvement. We're seeing a lot of people rise up and take charge. And I'm really excited and I'm optimistic about the future. I don't like just talking about, you know, what it is that we're doing wrong, but also like to talk about what it is that we can be doing right. Um, um, and essentially, right now, we have the luxury at least if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, if you're hearing me right now, if you're watching this, you have the luxury of having an internet connection. 
you have the luxury of, of sitting down and being able to listen to this, to take this information. So what are you doing with this right now? What are you doing with your blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you? Do you just focus on, you know, worshiping alone in a corner of your home, you know, and, and that's all you do? Uh, right, and I just got a message, Ibn al-Haytham. Ibn al-Haytham is the name, Ibn al-Haytham is the name I was looking for, for uh, the one who discovered, uh, you know, the, the, how the eye functions. So yes, um, do you, you know, just sit and, and, and worship to yourself and, and think that's enough? Because let me tell you, there's this, this uh, hadith, uh, the narration, this narration of the Prophet where the Prophet went to a mosque, uh, you know, went to his, a mosque, his mosque, right? And he, he saw a man that would spend, you know, his days and nights in the mosque praying. And he asked him, he asked him, how do you sustain yourself? How is it that you actually sustain yourself? And he told the Prophet ﷺ, he said, well, I, uh, I, I spend my time on worship and I focus all of my time on worship. And my brother, my brother is, is the one who works and he, he provides for his family and he provides for me. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, and you guys can look that, you guys can look this up. I'm not making this up. The Prophet ﷺ told him, your brother is better than you. Your brother is better than you. Right? Who? The person that wasn't, you know, I'm not saying don't worship. I'm not saying don't go and do ibadah. I'm not saying don't go and, and focus on your spiritual nourishment. Every person should be focusing on that. But we pray as Muslims, Allahumma It's not enough to just, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, how, how do you say this? Just essentially, you know, uh, how do you, how, there's a term that I'm looking for, but it's not enough to just, you know, go through life go through life, you know, and, and think to yourself, the only, the only impact bubble I want to have is within me. I only want to make sure that I'm good. I only want to make sure that I'm going to Jannah. I only want to make sure that I, you know, I'm amassing as many good deeds as possible. What about the people around you? Right? What about the people around you? What about not only thinking about your, your family and your direct, you know, dependents, such as your children, your siblings, but also thinking outside of that. What about your community? What about other Muslims? What about society as a whole? What about the world, right? What have you created to make a positive impact in the world? Do you know how many problems the world has right now? Like pollution in the oceans, right? Pollution in our air, right? The 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 agro the um, uh, the animal in the the animal food industry, right? Is completely out of control, right? And that's why so many people are turning vegan right now. Uh, and I, I encourage you to look it up, right? There's still problems in regards to poverty. Poverty. There's still problems in regards to sickness. There's problems in regards to people trying to create something beautiful, create create these amazing organizations, and not being able to, right? Not being able to because they don't have the support. How many young Muslims do you know that want to get up and and go and create something great, and they don't have the support from the community? There's no one in the community that's saying, "Sure, I'll fund you. I'll go. I'll go and support you." Right? Not many that you see. So, what can we do? What is it that we can do? Well. A good place to start is to start thinking about and focusing on how can I impact my community positively? How can how can I make a change in society, right? And just like the Muslims that have, you know, through trade and through these Silk Roads that spanned east to west, right? That they were able to spread Islam peacefully, right? Through a show of their character and of benefiting others, right? Through their products, through their services, through these interactions. How are we today, 
right? Working on, you know, impacting society and our community in a better way, right? How are we doing that? What is it that we're doing? What is it that we're focusing on? And that's why I encourage every one of you to be an entrepreneur and, and not only an entrepreneur in the traditional sense of being a business owner, but be an entrepreneur in that, you know, do something entrepreneurial, right? Whether that's going out tomorrow, taking a big garbage bag and, uh, you know, that little clip that you hold in your hand and, and going and saying, you know what, today I'm going to go and clean up my, my local park. I'm going to go to the park and I'm just going to, every Sunday, I'm going to go and I'm going to clean up my local park. I'm gonna, there's so much plastic trash everywhere. I know there is here in Montreal, Canada, it's all over. You know, let me go and clean up these local parks a little bit. Let me, let me, let me, let me give, let, let me do my part in making this world a better place, right? You don't want to start a business? You can do that. Start a nonprofit. Do whatever you need to do. But I really encourage you guys uh, to start thinking, you know, and having a bigger picture, having a bigger vision to what you want out of life, to what it is that you are able to achieve. And if we have more Muslims that are thinking in that way, then we can bring back the Islamic golden age. We can start to have these amazing Muslim pioneers, these amazing Muslim inventors, Muslim scientists, right? These Muslim business owners that are creating these amazing things. And then people can't put us to the side anymore. People can't go and say, you know what? Muslims cares about them. Let's just put them on the side. Just keep releasing news that, you know, uh, that bashes Islam will be good to go, right? They can't say that anymore because they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. These people are like, you know, they're all over the place, right? And they're benefiting us in, in so many different ways. I mean, there's no denying it, right? That's that's the point that we need to get to. Um, so, inshallah, that's what we want to get to. So, I'm gonna open up the room for some, open up the floor for some Q and A. Um, I'll, I'll take two or three questions, inshallah, and we'll wrap up. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we got a question here uh, from one of the comments. This one is, "What are the best uh, ways to spread Islam through entrepreneurship nowadays without traveling through the countries uh, and spreading Islam geographically, as it was done in the times of the Prophet Sallallahu what can we do to have a similar impact? Yeah, good question. That's a really, really good question. I love that. Um, so thank you for asking that. So what are the best ways to spread Islam through entrepreneurship now without traveling, right? You don't just need to start to travel. So the good news is, is that we now have the internet, right? We now have the internet, which is you know this beautiful resource that connects us with the entire world, right? And we're able to go and reach people in different countries, you know, in the, in the thousands, in the millions sometimes. And through the internet, we're able to have a bigger impact, right? We're able to have a bigger impact. So you think of, you think of, um, when you think about, you know, you, let's say building some sort of software that benefits people. Like, let's say the streaming software that I'm using right now, I'm just gonna use a very micro example, very micro example. And then you offer it worldwide. You say, okay, you can, anyone in the world can subscribe, right? But guess what? You don't hide your Islam in the software, right? You, you say, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And the reason why we do it is because we're Muslims and because this is what our religion teaches us. It teaches us to excellence and it teaches us to be, to, 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 you know, benefit people and to connect people in a better way. And this is why we're able to do what we do, right? Now, there's no point doing something great if you're hiding your Islam, right? If you're, if you're, if you're uh, you know, putting something out there uh, and, and it's impacting, you know, millions, but then no one knows you're a Muslim. Well, how are you helping the religion, right? You might be helping yourself, which is awesome. And you might be contributing in the background. You might be saying, oh, I'm donating to causes that I care about, donating to things that I care about. But why are you, why are you hiding it, right? So what are the best ways to spread Islam through entrepreneurship nowadays? The best way, in my opinion, uh, to have a similar impact, right? Thankfully now through the internet is just to 
think of what are some ways that you can take your initiatives, that you can take, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and offer it to a wider audience, right? Through the medium of the internet, right? How can you go and put that? And, and, and things like social media, just like they can be used for bad, they can also be used for good, right? They can also be used for good. So you can use social media to actually spread goodness around the world and spread goodness to people and talk about things that actually benefit people and things that actually benefit others and showcase Islam in a different light, right? You, through your products and services, right? Offering these to the world instead of just within your geographic location through your online business, right? By creating an online business allows you to have that impact worldwide without necessarily being there face-to-face, -face, right? For us in our agency, we uh, work with, you know, clients from all around the world. One of our clients is uh, actually uh, uh, in Sri Lanka, uh, funny enough, but it, he's not a Muslim, right? No, Sri Lanka, not a Muslim, uh, but I'm right here in Montreal, Canada, and I have a client in Sri Lanka, right, that, that we work with. And um, he knows that he knows that we're Muslims, right? And just those interactions, those daily interactions, where he sees, ah, oh, you know, you know, Abby, you're pretty cool, and you're, you know, this is, this is awesome. This is, uh, you know, just just that, you know, like I enjoy dealing with you. I really enjoy, you know, all the effort you put into uh, helping me out here, and, and you know, to serving me. And guess what? Maybe that's going to shift his perspective on Muslims a little bit. Maybe the next time he goes, uh, you know, he he goes out and and thinks to himself. Uh, and here is something on the news that says, oh, Muslims are this and that and uh, all kinds of things. He'll think, well, I don't know if I really agree with that because I've met someone and I know that that's not actually the truth. And that's all it takes, right? All it takes is one single uh, one, one single heart that you can change. Uh, and then, inshallah, to grow that and have many hearts change. And uh, we don't know the worth of that in the hereafter, but hopefully we hope that... Uh, brings us some benefit as well. So yeah, my, my suggestion is definitely bring whatever you're doing online. Try to think about how can I grow my impact and how can I really scale that impact by leveraging you know, online resources, by leveraging the internet and social media. How can I go and scale my impact and make this bigger and better and more massive and think on a global scale? And that should help, inshallah. We got one more question. Um, one of the viewers asked, uh, okay, we got two more questions. Awesome, inshallah. So we'll go ahead and go through them. Uh, I wish I could put them up on the screen, but I'm like, I'm not able to. So we got two more questions. This one is during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu um, Let's see here. During the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Why can't I pull it up? Sorry, guys. All right. Yours uh, uh, in Medina. Majority of the people were uh, Jewish business owners. How did the Prophet develop business trade with them? And what are the things of these peoples we can learn from in terms of how they've been very successful financially? Okay. So one clarification to be made is that uh, the majority weren't Jewish business owners. So from our research, we can actually see that Muslims themselves were also very much tradespeople. Uh, and there were many business owners that were Muslim at the time, right? Very successful business owners. Uh, so they, they weren't majorly um, Jewish. I think it was a mixture, but there were some Jewish tribes during that time as well. Um, and from what we know of the Prophet ﷺ and his conduct, and I think you bring up a good point, which is how did they interact with people from different backgrounds and different religion? Right? What can we learn from in terms of how they've been successful? Um, what we can learn from them is that really Muslims treated these other people um, with respect and with dignity, right? Unless there was something, unless they did something, right, as an attack against you, right? Unless someone did something, and I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, the tribes uh, at the time, but just in general. I mean, look, no one expects you to be, you know, uh, to turn the other cheek, uh, as we say, right? So... As long as someone is is not 
someone that hasn't attacked you, hasn't done anything wrong with you, um, there's no reason at all not to treat them with respect, with dignity, right? With honor. And even when someone is, we, we all know, and we've been taught by the Prophet Sallallahu that, you know, the best thing to do is to forgive, right? Forgiving is better for you, right? If you forgive, it's better for you, right? We all know that through the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu So during that time, they treated, uh, you know, the business owners from the Jewish tribes with honor and with dignity. And uh, outside of the times where, you know, we, we, there were situations where there was conflict between those tribes because there was, uh, you know, betrayals and, and, and different things happening, right? And they, and they broke some treaties at the time that were in place. And that caused tension between, uh, between the Muslims and the Jewish tribes at the time uh, because they broke their treaties with the Muslims. But outside of that, even when the Muslims went and, and, and started uh, expanding to other countries, right? And they would allow people from other religions to continue operating their businesses. They would allow people from other religions to continue living their lives. But they wouldn't say, close down your business and, and we can't do business with you and we can't buy from you. There's no ban on buying from a Christian. There's no ban on buying from a Jewish person. Right? Even during the time of the Prophet they traded with people from all backgrounds and all religions, right? And even as the trade routes were established for the Silk Road, they traded with people from these religions and they honored them and they respected them and they valued them and they valued these relationships. And that is what caused you know, Islam to spread so rapidly through the Silk Roads because there was no difference at the time. Right, there was no difference at the time between you know who you were uh, uh, as and, and and you know what religion you belong to. Muslims knew that what they needed to reflect is the the, the prophetic character, the character of the Prophet in all of their interactions. Right, and even when the the Quraysh were oppressing the Muslims and when they were you know really uh, uh, and they were they were they were essentially really like starving them, they put a boycott on them and and they were really hurting them. Prophet what did he tell the Muslims? He told them patience. He told them patience. He told them, you know, he told them not to fight back, right? At that time, he told them not to fight back. He told them, you know, patience. And they endured. And they would tie stones on their stomachs because they were so hungry, because they were starving, right? And uh, eventually, they migrated to, uh, to Yathrib. So what we know is that, you know, they honored every person that they came in contact with. That's what we know. So I hope that answers the question. Um, and yeah, I hope that answers inshallah. So we'll see if we got one more inshallah. If not, then we'll wrap this up. I hope you guys enjoyed this a little bit. You enjoyed having a little bit of a quick background on uh, some of our history as Muslims, right? How Islam spread through trade in the early ages, through the Silk Roads, uh, through all these different religions. And you think about, you know, the, the countries and, and, the, and the geographic landscape at the time, right? And, and all these different religions that were taking place in these different countries and these different people and cultures and societies. And, you know, these people were trading with each other. Right, just like we are today, and the world very much was not disconnected, and Islam was able to spread rapidly to these countries uh, through entrepreneurs, through trade. Uh, so, inshallah, I pray that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know, grant us the blessing and the ability to be able to revive the spirit of entrepreneurship in Islam, so we can have more Muslim entrepreneurs that are, you know, working hard to um, to create, you know, amazing products, services, businesses that benefit society as a whole, right? Benefit our community, benefit society as a whole, benefit the world. And make a positive impact and when we do so when we focus on that um then that's what will witness the rise uh, uh of of uh, islam inshallah back to a place where it was um in the golden age and even better inshallah and i'm optimistic about the future because there's many people that i know that are working very hard at doing that uh that are working very hard at doing that and us entrepreneur we're part of that right so we're part of that mission 
And that's literally why we exist. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this right now and you think to yourself, well, Abby, I'm, I'm in, I want to start a business. I just don't know where to start. I need some help, right? I, I, I don't know what I need to do. Um, you know, I, I listen to this talk and I'm inspired and I want to start a business as well. If you go on our, our uh, on uh, omarpreneur.com slash call, uh, you'll have the chance to book a call with me directly. Now, um, I'll talk to you, I'll sit down with you and I'll, I'll try to understand what your current situation is. Right, so do you already have a business? Do you not have a business? What is it that you want to start? What is it that you want to do, inshallah? And uh, we'll have a conversation. And if we can help you, if we can help you uh, with mentorship or whatever it is that we can offer, uh, we'll let you know what that looks like. And if we can, then we'll also tell you transparently. So if that's something that you want to be, you want to do, you want to be a part of, go to markmarino.com slash call and, and book a session and I'll have a conversation with you. And we'll have a conversation and talk about how we can help you as an entrepreneur. So we got one last question. We'll take that question and then we'll end the episode, inshallah. So the, we have a question here. There are still some cultures in which there's no business opportunities uh, for sisters. How can we detach gender discrimination from our entrepreneurship? So that's a really good question. Um, so it's definitely a question of culture, right? Because there's no place for that in Islam, right? There's definitely no place for that in Islam. We all know uh, that the, the mother uh, of the Muslimin, Ummul Muslimin, Khadija radiallahu anha, right? Our mother, she... Uh, was a business owner, right? She was an entrepreneur. So there's no place for that in Islam. So this this is a, a situation uh, of, of culture and culturally, right? Islam isn't isn't a religion that actually, um, um, you know, uh, brings down the status of women, but it's actually a religion that came to elevate the status of women, right? And to elevate their opportunities uh, and their ability to, uh, you know, do the things they want to do and do the things they need to do as long as it's in, uh, in a halal way, of course. So... When you ask me, uh, there's cultures that have no business opportunities for sisters, and how can we detach gender discrimination from, from entrepreneurship? That is really a culture issue. Um, now, I'm not sure where you live or, or what situation you're, you're in, and I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help you in that situation. And, and, and if you're in a situation that you feel like you want to do something and you can't, you know, because you're, um, because you're in a situation where other people might have, um, you know, a different perspective on what women should do, uh, certain cultural norms. Uh, what I think is, is the best way to go about this really is um, to, and, and I'm going to say this and it might sound controversial, controversial, but I'm going to say that the best way to go about this is to do it anyway. And when I say do it anyway, I mean, no matter what it is that you're building, it always takes time, right? People think that, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to be successful tomorrow. I can't start a business because I can't work on that right now. I can't start a business because I, I have a nine to five. I don't have time to invest right now. But who told you that it's going to take you 20 hours a day? Dude? Like it takes like five months for you to even, you know, uh, you know, have like a, a little start to see a little bit of success. You know, that's traditionally right. Right. The overnight success is not a popular thing. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a very common thing. Businesses takes time to build. So during that time, take your time to, to build the business in whatever way you want, right. Whether it's an online business, something you want to do and, at the same time, while you're doing it, right? Of course, as long as it's halal and it doesn't go against the religion, then make then go and have these conversations, sit down and have these conversations with people who might be preventing you from doing the things you want to do and tell them, explain to them, this is my business plan. And this is what I want to do. This is how I believe it will contribute. Um, this is why it, it doesn't go against anything that we believe as Muslims. So please tell me why, um, you know, why, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, why I shouldn't be pursuing it. And have that conversation. Sit down and have that conversation, um, you know, with whoever it is uh, you feel is, is is kind of holding holding you back from doing that, inshallah. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help you in your situation. Um, 
And I, I believe we'll end here, inshallah. So I really thank all of you for, for joining me today, for, for being on this episode. Um, we had a little bit less than usual in terms of viewers because I didn't have a guest. So I, I appreciate all of you who actually came and listened to just me, um, you know, because I know it's not as entertaining as having a conversation with two people to just kind of listen to one person rambling on. So I really appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for joining me today. And of course, whether you're watching or, or even if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, guys, if you can take some time to go open up Apple Podcasts, uh, open up Spotify and subscribe or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to, that really helps us. That really, really helps us as a podcast. We're still young. We're still growing. Um, but, you know, we put in hours and hours into this and we make zero dollars in income. We don't do this for profit. So it's just a way for us to give back, to kind of share this, some value with you guys, inshallah. So I hope that you support us. Give us a little review. Give us a little bit of a comment um, on Spotify, Apple Podcast. Show us some love. And uh, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode, inshallah. Okay, so we'll see you next time. Take care, guys. Always a pleasure. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum.